If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Side Hustle Show 22. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality. Because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And now your host, Nick Loper. Hey everybody, Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show. This is episode 22 and a little bit of a different show today because we're actually going to learn about this really fascinating side hustle called public speaking. Now, this is a scary topic for a lot of people, I realize that. In fact, you may have heard the survey that people named public speaking their number one fear. Uh, You know what number two was? Death. You know, is standing in front of a group of people really scarier than dying? I don't think so, and I don't think Side Hustle Nation does either. But if you're like me, you probably haven't done much speaking or presenting since graduating school or graduating college, outside of the occasional, you know, meeting presentation or client presentation at work or something. But today's guest will get you ready to get back on that stage, and it's one I'm particularly excited for. Julian Gordon is here from SideHustler.com, that's Side Hustler, or Side Hustle with an A at the end. Super smart, super talented guy. Have, have you ever come across a website and you're like, whoa, why am I just now learning about this? How long has this even been a thing? That's what it was like for me when I found Julian's site. So one quick shout uh, before we get into it. Uh, Scholar KS, this is on uh, iTunes, five-star review. Scholar KS says, five stars each show, gives me new ideas, keep them coming. Thank you so much for that. And if you would like to get a real live shout out of your own, you know what to do. Head on over to sidehustlenation.com slash iTunes and drop in a quick review for me. Very much appreciated and gives me the fuel to keep at it. So all the uh, show notes for this episode are at sidehustlenation.com slash episode 22. And with that, let's get Julian on the line. Julian, welcome to the Side Hustle Show. Glad to be here, Nick. Thank you so much for the invitation. (laughs) Hey, you bet. So Julian is a talented speaker, author, coach, and and perhaps most importantly, a real creative mind and architect of his own life. He's a Stanford MBA and founder of SideHustler.com. Uh, I was introduced to uh, to Julian by uh, David Hutcherson from The Power of TV. So thank you, David, very much for that intro. Now, Julian, uh, let's start with your kind of quick background and bio. What are some of the steps, um, the big steps that led to where you are today? Um, So the first big step was 
stepping off into business school. After I graduated from UCLA in three years, I worked in the nonprofit world for two years after that. And then I made a jump into business school. Uh, and for a lot of people, that was uh, that didn't make sense for them in terms of the direction where my career was going. Um, but for me, it made perfect sense because growing up, I grew up in my godmother's barbecue restaurant. So entrepreneurship had always been a bug inside of me. And, uh, you know, and now it was time to pivot, not only figure out how to serve, but also serve in a sustainable way. And for me, that meant finding a business model that would allow me to continue to give my gifts and talents and strengths to the world and share those things with them to help them get to where they're trying to go in life. And so after business school, uh, during business school, I was starting a website to help people discover their passions. And um, I raised money for that technology venture. Uh, But upon graduation, it wasn't ready to support me. So I took a job at another nonprofit. And that was very intentional because I knew that it was only going to command 40 hours of my week and it was going to give me time uh, to continue to grow what I wanted to grow on the side. So that was my main hustle, and I uh, was building my side hustle, writing my first book, starting to teach my first trainings. And on January 9th, 2009, 17 months after starting that job, that's when I made my full-time transition. I made my side hustle my main hustle, and I've been on this road ever since. (laughs) That's awesome. So you call that kind of job a bridge job. Why is that? Correct, because a bridge is just a structure that's designed to help you get to somewhere else. A lot of people get in jobs and and they close the door behind them and it's kind of like final. Okay, I'm here and I'm going to see how far I can ride this out. Right. For me, I knew it was actually a bridge to get me to somewhere else. And so when you know uh, that your job is a bridge job and that you're not going to be in it forever, but that you're actually using it to get to another destination, it allows you to. Uh, change the way you think about your relationship with your employer. And it also forces you to maximize that space and get the most that you can out of it. Whereas most people who get a job and are trying to stay comfortable in it, they're trying to give as little as possible. When you have a bridge job, you're trying to get as much as you can out of it uh, by giving. So it was during that job that I developed my speaking skills. That job in particular required me to travel the country and speak to different college students and young professionals about business school and fast track entry level careers. So that's kind of where my speaking circuit started. And um, it was really my training ground that positioned me to step into this work full time powerfully rather than stopping from an inert place where I had no energy around what I was doing. Interesting. Now, did you have any speaking experience before getting that job? That seems like that might be a prerequisite if uh, if they're going to hire you to go around uh, around the country to, to give talks. Uh, somewhat. Yeah, I did uh, two graduation speeches. I did my UCLA graduation speech and my Stanford graduation speech. Um, but I, at that time, um, when I entered into that role, I didn't consider myself a public speaker or a motivational speaker. Um, that wasn't on my radar as a profession or as a path. Um, I could communicate. I was a powerful communicator. And up until that time, I'd been a powerful communicator via writing. Um, I had a blog called Reminders to My myself that was uh, going strong at that time and people were inspired by it. But this job actually put me out at the forefront and said, you know what, Julian, stop hiding behind your blog and actually bring your message to the forefront. And that's how, um, that's really the groundwork or the foundation for what I've built today. That's such a cool, um, yeah, that's such a cool story. So when, so how many gigs, how many speaking gigs have you done uh, so far this year? Um, I've done about 
40 speaking gigs uh, this year um, for uh, colleges, for corporate clients, for workforce development organizations, um, even for a few high schools. I don't really work on that level too much, but um, I've done some for a few high schools and uh, and some nonprofit organizations, but and, and some graduations and some orientations. So I've done about 40. Uh, by the end of the year, that'll probably get up to 60 based on my current bookings. And uh, I know uh, based on my sales cycle that more opportunities will come between now and the end of the year. Wow, that's really, really cool. I think a lot of people are interested, myself included, in getting more involved as a speaker, kind of tipping my, my toes in the water on the, uh, on the uh, presenter uh, stage, so it were. But how, like, I'm really curious, how do you get started? Like, you, you talk about creating, um, you know, a, a press kit or a promo package or a sizzle reel. Like, how do you do that when you have, like, literally nothing? Like, it's been, you know, aside from, you know, presentations at my job and in school, like, it's been more than 10 years since I've spoken, spoken in, fr- in front of any size of audience. Yeah, so um, that's that's your challenge to uh, just get behind the camera. You have a webcam um, in front of you, I'm sure, and just starting to speak uh, as much as you write. You have an amazing blog, and to be honest, it might be actually easier for you to do a vlog rather than a blog. It might be easier to just get, turn the camera on for five to ten minutes and just say what you know from the top of your head than it is to actually write it, have to edit it, and things of that nature. And so just constant rehearsal, rehearsal, rehearsal. But before you even get into speaking, it's really getting clear on what is your message. There's all kinds of messages about, oh, be inspired, follow your dreams, um, here's how to set goals, this and that. And those are very generic standard messages. And if you try to enter the marketplace with those generic standard messages, it's going to be very competitive. But really getting crystal clear on what your unique story is and the message that you were actually born um, born to uh, deliver and share and spread, that's what's most important first. And my message is really around, um, really around having everything provided to me as a, as a child. I grew up in a middle-class family, and I quote-unquote had the American dream, except a couple things. My parents got divorced when I was one years old. One of my parents was dealing with alcoholism. And so I had this kind of Cosby family ideal, right? I had two professionals as parents, but uh, the life that I was experiencing wasn't the same thing that I saw on the Cosby show. And I realized that I wasn't the only one facing this, but that a lot of people all across the country are facing this, that we had bought into this idea of the American dream and, and that we were just supposed to follow these steps and become a teacher, doctor, lawyer, engineer, and that everything would be okay. And I saw that actually crumble in terms of my own family infrastructure. And so So even though I had all these opportunities and this privilege afforded to me, I started to reject that form of privilege and say, you know what? It's not about that. There's another way to live our lives that could be equally or even more fulfilling. And my journey has been around paving my own road, um, designing my own life, and not just um, stepping into someone else's shoes, not just climbing someone else's ladder, but actually designing and creating the life that I want to lead and that's unique to me and my purpose. I think that's something that uh, Side Hustle Nation will agree with 100%. Indeed. You talk about building your personal brand. Like before you're getting started on the speaking circuit per se, you talk about establishing your personal brand. So why is that important and what kind of um, you know, tips or tactics can people do to, to nail that down? 
Yeah, well, it's it's important because it's all about differentiation. A lot of people, um, for instance, that might be part of the National Speakers Association or whatnot, they'll come in and they're all call themselves motivational speakers. Right now, when supply for something is high um, and the demand hasn't changed, then the actual value of that service goes down. Right. So what one thing that I've done to establish my personal and professional brand, and it's the easiest way that I found to actually establish your personal professional brand is to come up with a superhero name. Okay. Right. It's one or two words. So stepping into this work, my original superhero name was the Purpose Finder. And when I said that, people would say, What's that about? So it actually sparked curiosity rather than some me saying I'm a motivational speaker and somebody already having knowledge, prior knowledge of that and assuming they know what I do, I would say I'm a purpose finder and all of a sudden they're asking me about what I do. Yes, motivational speaking is one of the things I do. Yes, life coaching is one of the things I do. Yes, consulting is one of the things I do, but at the core of my work it was helping individuals and organizations get clear on their purpose. Now, over the past two years, that has evolved into the interviewer because I realized that my gift wasn't just about helping people discover their purpose. It was actually about asking the right questions to people about their life, their career, and their businesses. Because at the end of the day, how far will the right answers to the wrong questions get us? They won't get us too far. And so my gift is really holding safe space for people, asking the right questions, and helping them come up with their own unique, authentic answers. See, our generation is, um, uh, I guess I call us a standardized tested generation. We had the SAT, the MCAS, <laughs> this, that, that. We had tests every single, like every other day, we had some sort of multiple choice test. And as a result, we started living our lives like a multiple choice test. Rather than seeing all the possibilities that were out there, A through Z and beyond, we just started choosing from A, B, C, and D. And so what I want people to do is open up to all the possibilities. And if none of the possibilities actually fit them, then to actually create a possibility in the world for themselves. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash side hustle show. Just go to indeed.com slash side hustle show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash side hustle show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for a vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you, whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. 
Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. So your personal brand, your superhero name, that helps define who your audience is and kind of their needs and desires, how you can help them. So where do you go about finding them once you've established your, your superhero name? Um, oftentimes they find you. It's, uh, it, it's going back to some of the biblical stuff and, and old prophets. I mean, sometimes you just have to get on top of a hill and just start <laughs> preaching. And, and for you and I, our hills were our blogs, right? Mm-hmm. It might be a YouTube channel. It might be a book that you write. Uh, it might be some free speaking engagements that you do um, early on in your career. But it's up to you to... Um, get your message out there. And then as you are sharing your message, maybe a small percentage of that audience will say, you know what, I believe what he believes. And they will start to follow you and go from there. But it's not their responsibility to find you, even though they are looking for you. It's your responsibility, first and foremost, to get the message out there. If someone, if a customer doesn't find me, that's my fault, not the customer's fault. I have to make myself available in the way that they like to... Um, in, in the way that they like to consume information. So some people like my videos, some people like my writing, some people like books, some people like live training, some people like webinars, some people like podcasts. I have to make myself available in the avenues that I know my potential customers and my tribe um, is most acclimated to. Do you find it beneficial to like start locally and looking for for places where you can, you know, offer up your, uh, you know, your pitch for free or your your uh, your talk for free to start out? Um, locally, for the sake of not having to pay travel costs and being able to get something on video uh, with an audience, I think that's an important thing for a speaker to do early on in their career is to capture themselves on video. Uh, delivering their story and their message in a powerful way with an, a live audience there, not just in their home with a, a white wall in the background, but with an audience there. And then put that up on their website, use that as your promo video, add that to your sizzle reel, etc. But that's only for the sake of travel. Um, I'm not calling myself a prophet or anything, <laughs> but but there's a quote, you know, a prophet isn't respected in his own home. And so I'll be honest <laughs> with you, I don't get a, I don't get a lot of business in New York. My, I get more business in Florida and uh, Texas than I do anywhere else. How or why? I do not know. <laughs> okay. But sometimes okay. When, and when you're in your local market, they're like, oh, he lives down the street. You know what I'm saying? He lives in Brooklyn. And, and it, you're almost too close to them for them to really value you. If, if I say, if I say Nick, Nick Loper is hailing all the way from Amsterdam, all of a sudden the perceived value of you coming this distance is a lot more than if I say Nick from around the corner <laughs> right, come right, to speak right. to us today. So I don't know what that is. That's just human psychology. And uh, um, I do encourage you to use your local opportunities to get a speaking engagement captured on video with a live audience. But um, it doesn't have to start there in order to actually start getting paid and building your business. Gotcha. Any places you recommend people do start out if they want to do that local route, like Toastmasters or something? Um, Toastmasters for... 
accountability and rehearsal. Um, but the Toastmasters isn't going to build your speaking business. It'll build your speaking skills, but it won't build your speaking business, right? right. Um, there are a couple um, organizations like uh, APCA and NACA and, and NOTA, National Orientation Directors Association, uh, Association for Campus Programming and Activities, uh, et cetera. And they have showcases where um, speakers can go, you have to pay to go, but you get put in front of uh, 50 to 100, 150 schools. And these schools are there to fill up their programming calendar for the year. Now, the only thing about some of these organizations is that um, you're competing against poets, entertainers, magicians, uh, bands, singers, etc. And uh, sometimes the young people, they are more inclined to focus on the entertainment and the wow aspect than these powerful motivational messages that are going to really help them be in the future, right? And so that's the only thing about those. So I did a few of those early on in my um, career, but I, I've stopped going to those now. Yeah, that's funny you bring that up. I, I think back to like the, the people we had come talk to us in, in middle school and high school. And I always wonder like, how do we find these people? You know, and it was, you know, it was the same people over and over again, because a small town, you kind of cycle through them if you stick there, stick around long enough. Yeah. Um, but what's it like? Okay, so we'll kind of move, move past that. Uh, so now you've got a few gigs uh, under your belt, maybe you had to give them away, maybe you had to do them at discounted rate. Um, but you put together kind of this highlight reel of your video, some testimonials from people in the audience. Hey, this was the greatest thing I ever heard, blah, blah, blah. Um, so now, what is, what's a typical sales process look like for you? A uh, typical sales process is actually six months to a year. Um, it is someone finding me at a showcase. It is a student reaching out and saying, I'm now, uh, I'm now the treasurer of this student organization. And I saw your Ted talk and, um, I want to bring you to campus for this particular event. Then they go through the process of finding the on-campus for funding. This could be for the spring semester. I mean, this could be a call I get today and, and we're to actually planning something for the spring semester. So this sales cycle is actually a pretty long one. Now I have, because I've delivered powerfully where I went, I do have some repeat clients, uh, actually quite a few repeat clients where all they do is call me, say, Julian, here's the date. We'll keep the same numbers from last year. Let's go. And (laughs) it could be a deal that's closed in literally five minutes because there's that kind of trust. And they trust me in front of their audience, um, who they are taking care of and expecting to grow. And, um, um, they trust me as an individual to show up, deliver in a powerful way. So uh, the sales process can take quite some time. Orientation, sometimes I'll have an orientation booked uh, 12 months in advance. So they'll finish their orientations this fall. And right now, as soon as their orientations are over, they're already starting to look for their orientation speaker for the following year. And they want to lock that in. So um, uh, that's usually what the sales cycle looks like. There's nothing uh, more valuable for a speaker in terms of sales material is actually uh, a demonstration. There's a lot of speakers out there with websites and they don't have any video on there. <laughs> How am I supposed? I'm asking you to come speak, so I need to see you speaking. Period. Yeah, exactly. Right? So you have to have a video. Um, there's just there's just no way around it. I can't read how great a speaker you are, even if you have hundreds of testimonials from people. I can't read how great a speaker you are. Let's skip around. This is kind of off topic, but I wanted to ask you about your experience with TEDx. Um, How did you go about getting on the stage there? What was the process like? Um, In terms of TEDx, uh, 
I spoke at one college um, at Rutgers before, and two years later, this indiv- an individual from that audience saw me uh, or happened to be on the planning committee, and he invited me to speak at Rutgers. So that was one. Um, TEDx Midwest, which was probably the biggest TEDx stage that I've been on, um, I was speaking for a corporate client, one of my big corporate clients, and um, and a woman there. I met a woman who. Uh, was also going to be on the panel that I was going to be on for this corporate client. And she happened to be an organizer for TEDx Midwest in Chicago. And so they've invited me back uh, two years, two years now. I just did one this year and I did one two years prior to that. TEDx Brooklyn, um, TEDx Brooklyn happened uh, here for the first time, I think in 2011. Um, I was not at, I was not on that, um, on that agenda. But what I did do was I gave out my books to all of the attendees because I wanted to contribute. And, uh, and, um, they put my book under every person's seat. And one person who was there picked it up. He said he was more intrigued by my book than some of the speakers. (laughs) So he ended up reading my book during that TEDx. And he ended up becoming the organizer for the next year's TEDx Brooklyn. And, um, and from there, uh, he invited me to come speak. So it's just been, again, making that clarion call, having your information out there in all kinds of ways. So one person found my book, one person found me on a campus, one person found me when I was doing work with another corporate client. That So uh, it's been interesting how I've just happened to meet um organizers of these particular conferences. And sometimes I met them in two cases. I met them before they were even an organizer, before they even knew in their mind that they were going to organize a TEDx. I had been in front of them in some way. Right. Right. Is working so. the network kind of in an unintentional way. Yes. Or intentional, but um, not with uh, uh, not trying to persuade you to invite me to your TEDx. I'm just being who I am. I'm being a giving person. I'm being a giving spirit. I'm creating, I'm seeking to always create value. And when you have that mindset of, of always creating more value than you take, um, people want to work with you. Right. So I think the idea of getting paid to talk is, is awesome. Here I am talking for free on the podcast. Um, but you hear about people like um, like Tim Ferriss and, and Bill Clinton getting like six figure gigs for like an hour, um, you know, an hour keynote or something. Mm-hmm. So how do you go about setting setting rates for uh, for when you go out and uh, and do a talk? Yeah, so I teach this in my Be Paid program uh, for side hustlers, which is my three week MBA program for side hustlers. And basically, I have an open door pricing policy, which means that the moment I open my front door to come start working for you, that's the moment that you start paying me. So you're not just paying for that hour. You're paying for me having to leave my family, leave my community, leave the things that I love here, leave my clients here to say no to them for a certain period of time, come be with you and deliver. So again, it's not just, you're not just paying me for that hour. You're paying me for actually the inconvenience of coming to where you are to deliver as well as then on top of that, now you're paying me for the information and the value that it's going to create for your particular audience. So again, it's not just, if you ask Bill Clinton what he was doing prior to um, leaving to go speak in Chicago, right? There is the moment he leaves his family, um, the clock starts ticking. And if this particular individual values their time at $1,000 per hour, at $500 per hour, at $300 per hour, at $100 per hour, 
then that's when the clock starts ticking and that's what you're really paying for in addition to the information and the value that um, your audience is going to get from having this person share their message. Gotcha. So how much is it typically, like if I want to book Julian Gordon for, uh, for an upcoming uh, gig, how much is that going to set me back? Yeah, right now my college rate is four thousand plus travel. That's my college right now, but it started off um, <laughs> uh, below two thousand. Okay. <laughs> okay, so um, it's grown and it's doubled over the past six years, um, and that's not uh, that's that's just typical for an audience of a hundred, hundred fifty. On top of that, uh, people buy books, and so there's some orientations uh, where I'm able to get almost uh, five figures for. Um, coming to deliver my presentations at certain schools. And then if that's just the college level, um, my corporate clients, I command more in that market. Um, and I'm still building my corporate business to date. But uh, in the corporate world, I speak on how to motivate millennials at work. Um, there's a lot of generation clashing going on uh, as, uh, as millennials start to flood into corporate America. And I have some pretty deep insights on how we what we want, how we like to be motivated and what works best for us at work. And so that's where I do work for corporate clients. That's awesome. Okay. So you bring up a point that the speaking fee and the travel expenses and all that is only one component of it because once you're there, you have an opportunity, you have a captive audience and you can sell other products of yours. Yeah, definitely. There are opportunities. Sometimes it all depends on the way the contract is set up. Like if I go to one of my corporate clients, I'm not going to go sell books at the back of the room. Either either the client's <laughs> going to buy books for uh, buy books or what I like to call tools for their audience or they're not. Um, in certain environments, like maybe a conference, right? Uh, at a conference, I might sell from the back of the room. But what tends to happen for speakers, especially when you have a diverse audience of people from different organizations or different college campuses, if you speak powerfully in one space and there's people from 50, 100, 150 different organizations or schools or companies, it's likely that you're going to get more business out of uh, speaking in front of all of those people because let's say two of them, and let's say 10 people come up to you after your talk and say, I want you to come to my company. And then you're actually able to close two or three of those deals. Gotcha. So that's kind of how it works. That's awesome. So what's the most you've ever earned from one gig? Uh, I can say it's low five figures. That's outstanding. That's got to feel pretty good, huh? Yeah, it is a pretty awesome feeling. Um, but when you think about it, if I go into an organization and I help them retain one person that they wouldn't have retained otherwise, then I've actually saved them fifty dollars to $100,000 from having to go recruit this individual, a new individual to replace this one. The gap that this individual is gone, um, uh, the cost of recruiting. Yeah. So if I come in and if I present to your organization and I give you one insight that's going to, um, and I'm only going to charge you $20,000 for that insight, all of a sudden, I, that's actually valuable to you. Yeah, so it's that's not good, just, yeah, that's a good way to do price anchoring too. So with all the travel and stuff, do you think this is a viable side hustle? For a certain period of your life, um, depending on what your home situation is like, I know that if my wife and I are going to uh, have kids, um, something has to change with my business model. And obviously, I have started to reposition myself with the Be Paid program, which is my online program, that which allows me to teach from home. I actually have a class this evening that I'm teaching. So I'm figuring out new revenue streams where, one, I can say, you know what, I only do 20 speaking engagements a year. 
And as a result of supply going down, that allows me to charge a higher price and just limit it um, to a certain number so that I'm not always out on the road. Um, I, if I was a single a single man with no kids and no attachments, I might go hard at this for another five years and, um, and uh, then see what happens after that. But uh, I love my wife. Uh, some, I love my wife more t- than being on the road sometimes. Uh, we do have a mortgage and bills to pay. Um, and a lifestyle to upkeep. So I have to get paid. So I have to make trade-offs to go leave and go get that bread and come back and feed my family. But um, long-term, I'll probably be doing less speaking engagements at a higher price point as I think about how to productize a lot of the uh, messages and the curriculums that I've developed. That's that's the shift for my business. Right. Yeah, really glad you brought that up because I was going to ask, you know, so speaking is not necessarily a time leveraged business. Even it's, it's still trading dollars for hours, even if it's an attractive hourly rate. And so with, yeah. this, with this product stuff in these courses, that's that's um, it's a little bit more passive or it's a little bit more time leveraged. Yeah, it's a little bit more time leverage. So that's why you have to start um, increasing um, your speaking fees over time because, yeah, it, it from a time perspective, you it's not just me closing the deal and me getting five figures and dividing that total deal by the number of hours it takes me to go leave my home and come back home. You got to add on how much time it took me to sell that work as well. Yeah. Right. I spent a lot of time recording 10, 20, 50 organizations in order to close one or two deals. All of that time has to get accounted for. And when you add all that time into the equation and you divide it by how much you earn from that speaking engagement, you know, you're not it's not just uh, I got paid uh, $10,000 for hours work. No, I got paid $10,000 for 100 hours work. (laughs) So, Julian, if you had to start over, would you do anything differently? That's a good question. Um, I have to say, no, I've enjoyed (laughs) every aspect of the journey. Oh, actually, no, I do have. One thing. Um, one thing. If I could find a, a business partner that I really trusted, um, who uh, doesn't want to be me, but wants to be them, and really uh, wants to compliment me and grow this business together in the same way that Jay Z had a Damon Jash, in the same way that Steve Jobs had a Wozniak, same way that Bill Gates had a Balmer, I w- I would like to have found that person earlier. Um, I thought I had that person at one point, um, and it didn't work out, so we went separate ways. Um, so there's that, and then two, uh, I would have stopped create. I wouldn't have created as much as I created. Um, Early on, I was just I was just about giving, giving, giving. Let me give away all this free content. Let me just give, 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 give without any business model really connected to it. And sometimes I give so much that I would overwhelm my audience because um, I was giving so much. Instead, I would have broken it into smaller bits and pieces and and fed my audience uh, slowly, more more slowly, and actually cultivated it and grew it in a slower way. You know, I've written five books uh, so far and. And I would have put more space between each book. So what would happen is I write a book and I'm like, oh, this book didn't catch fire. There's not 8 million people tweeting about it or sharing it on Facebook. All right, let me write another book and try again. And it wasn't the fact that the book wasn't valuable. It was the fact that I stopped putting energy into it. I got, I guess um, I got into this idea that uh, I build it and they come. I write it and they buy. 
And what I've discovered now is that marketing is 80% of the game. You actually publishing a book um, is the first 20%, but the next 80% is the marketing of the book. Matter of fact, let me switch that. The first 80% of any product that you create is actually marketing it. The last 20% is delivering on it. <laughs> and uh, that has completely changed the way I think about my business now. That's that's really good. I really love that quote. Marketing is 80% of the game. That's good. Yeah. So, uh, so we'll wrap up with, uh, Julian, your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation and then where people can connect with you online and find out more about your uh, products and courses. Yeah, my, next t- uh, my number one tip is go make a dollar. Go make a dollar. Go use your existing skills, strengths, um, and your savings and go make a dollar because here's the reality. When you go, if you have any money in your savings account, you're actually wasting money. Because inflation is growing faster than the amount you're getting paid on your savings account, right? And so if I gave you uh, 10 cents right now, Nick, right? If I gave you a dime and I said, can you turn this into 11 cents by the end of the year? What would you say? You bet. You bet, right? Well, that's a, that's a 10% return. And that's better than the stock market. That's better than your savings account. So my challenge to you is, Nick, go take as many dimes as you can and turn those into 11 cents over the next 365 days. Go make a dollar. A lot of people are like, oh, I can't charge $300 an hour. I can't do this. I can't charge $3,000 for a speaking engagement. I don't, I don't even see myself that valuable yet. My challenge to people is go make a dollar. Go sell something. And the moment, Because the moment somebody gets paid more per hour via a check, from a, a new client outside of their main employer, the moment they get paid a four-figure check from their own gifts, talents, strengths, and skills is the moment the light bulb goes off and there's no turning back after that. And so that's my challenge to people is go get paid. Even if it's just a dollar, go get paid doing it. I love it. I love it. Thanks so much for sharing that. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. And so where, where can people find you uh, online if they want to connect? They can find me at SideHustler.com. That's S-I-D-E-H-U-S-T-L-A. Not E-R. It's L-A. <laughs> SideHustler.com. That's where you can get uh, free content. You can get access to uh, my side conversations with 14 anonymous side hustlers in terms of how they grew their side hustles um, and get my weekly blog. So go there, subscribe, and uh, we can stay connected that way. It's a great site, you guys. Oh, you owe it yourself to check it out. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. All right. Thanks so much, Julian. We will uh, talk to you soon. All right, brother. Have a good one. You too. Take care. Bye. I absolutely love that that call to to sell sell something to someone. someone. The idea idea that your your skills stop being being valuable valuable. the moment moment you clock clock out at 5 5 p.m. is outrageous. Someone somewhere is willing willing to pay you for what you know, for what you can do. Now, as it relates to speaking, I actually found out right after the call with Julian, I'm a finalist to present at an upcoming marketing conference in January, so that would be awesome. You know what my last real public speaking gig, if you don't count on this podcast, high school graduation, maybe. Now, some people listening may have even been there, that Safeco Field in Seattle. I gave this talk based on this Abraham Lincoln quote that says, whatever you are, be a good one. And I still really love that quote. It still hits home for me. Now, now, many, many, many years, years later, later, so thank, thank you for indulging me that uh, short, short trip down memory lane. lane. I hope I you hope found some valuable nuggets in this conversation with Julian. I know I, know I did. did. Let, Let me know, know what you thought at SideHustleNation.com slash episode 22. 22. 
Hey, have, have you joined, joined the Side Hustle Nation email, email list yet? yet? Don't, Don't be a stranger. stranger. All the cool kids are doing it. It's, it's totally free, and you can get this sweet giveaway with 57 takeaways from the world's best business books. books. Learn, Learn more and sign up at SideHustleNation.com. And that's, that's it for the show. Until next time, go out there and make something happen. And I'll see you next week in episode 23. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com. 